Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning, Joe. So we are recording today's episode in the morning of Thursday, the 16th of September, and it feels like we've got some pretty meaty topics to get our um, heads around today. First of all, we've got the GDP figures for July, which were released last week. Um, We've also got inflation numbers um, that are out earlier this week. Neither of those make for particularly happy reading for the um, optimists uh, among us. So I think we'll we'll look at those in, in a bit more detail We've also had some employment numbers out. And again, it feels very difficult to really quite understand what's going on while the furlough is still in place. Um, I think we're we're still struggling to really understand what the longer term um, implications are of those. So so we'll dig around there a little bit more and look at some of the sector um, uh, research that's being done by ONS. And finally, winding up positions. This is something that we've been talking about for for months and months. And, And finally, you know, as we as we talked about last time, the provisions preventing um, people from issuing and winding up petitions come to an end at the end of this month. But rather than ever to be, there's a, there's a kind of twist or a stinging the tail. So we'll look at some of the detail around what the government have announced about the ending of the, the winding up petition ban. So, Nick, let's start with GDP. And it was a bit of a shocker, really, wasn't it? Let's, let's face it. To, I have to say, the um, the sound of um, reverberating buffers being struck was uh, was quite noticeable. I mean, there was there was uh, you know on my Twitter feed there was the closest thing to an audible gasp from economic commentators. Um, basically, this is the uh, GDP for July uh, issued um, published on the tenth of September, showing a growth month on month of just 0.1%. Um, the predictions from the Reuters poll of uh, economic uh, economists was 0.6%. And just remember, 0.1% in July, June was 1%. Yeah. And July was, of course, Freedom Month, because we had Freedom mm. Day on the 19th of July. And, and, if you and that's down, a big fall, isn't it? I mean, that's a big difference between what was expected. And even then, I think, you know, people were um, were a bit disappointed that that was the expectation. Um, but 0.1% is is shocking. Well, really. and, and it's particularly worrying because the service sector, which, remember, is 80% of the economy, showed no growth, but no contraction. And I guess what happened there was the, free, you know, Freedom Day on the 19th of July was um, met with, a, with, a, with an equal headwind from um, from the pandemic mm. coming the other way. So service sector was flat, manufacturing was flat, and that's supply chain uh, and logistics issues, and again, the pandemic in, in the second half of the month. Construction was down 1.6%. I think that's the fifth consecutive month. That's... Mm. That's all. And they are, I mean, you know, I follow construction very closely, having been in the industry in a, in a previous life. And, um, you know, the, you can hardly read an article now that doesn't talk about perfect storms and, and just hideous. Um, so they were down 1.6%. And the ONS were delightfully open, honest and said the only reason that the figure crawled to a, into positive territory, 0.1%, was because of the reopening of one oil field. I mean, that's astonishing, isn't it, really? <laughs> anyway, is, the, um, the, the upshot of the is that we are still 2.1% below pre-pandemic levels. 
and for the um, for the for the Brexit debaters um, out there, um, exports to the EU in July were down six point five percent on June, but were up five percent to other countries around the world. And then we've got some Brexit news. I mean, again, I don't think we'll go into that too much, but there have been again more delays were announced about the um, the imposing of checks on EU goods. Um, into the UK, which were, um, were were meant to come in, and that looks like it's been delayed until July 2022. Although the EU will be um, imposing the checks on UK goods going the other way, which has got um, exporters um, rather rather cross. Um, what you call a level playing field? Oh, not not very, not very level, is it? Not a talk about levelling up. And... So we, um, <laughs> we 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 move on from um, from GDP into. Inflation. Well, I suppose the other point that is just worth mentioning about GDP is that we're not expecting August to look much prettier because, again, this the pandemic, people being um, told by, I think it was actually at that point, it was being told to stay at home by the um, the test and trace um, uh, service were, were still going on until, until the middle of August. So we would expect to, um, that to show up in the GDP, GDP figures for August as well. So inflation. Now, the headline here was um, 3.2% rise in inflation in August. And Nick, that's the biggest ever monthly rise? Biggest ever monthly rise since records began um, under Gordon Brown in 1997. So it went up from 2% to 3.2% in a month. And at 3.2%, it's now the highest rate since March 2012. and the blame game, um, uh, I mean, one of the funniest things was the, um, uh, the ONS blaming um, the Dishi Rishi for his um, eat out to help out scheme. And for sure, you got a, a, a very adverse comparison with restaurant prices, mm. um, you know, one always to the next. Um, and, uh, but the ONS quite usefully said, we've looked at that and the, uh, the, the, base price effect of comparing um, eat out to help out with what's going on now, um, if you strip that out, it takes away 0.4% of the rise. Right. So, so if it's like it's at 2.8%, it would have 2.8 been 2.8 instead of 3.2%. Mm-hmm. Um, so restaurant prices, um, there was a, a really quite startling rise in food and drink prices, um, up 1.1%, that's supermarket prices. Mm. To, to the shopper rather than the uh, restaurant prices. Yeah. And, and that is all about everything from not enough HGV drivers, not enough people to, to because, harvest mm. uh, the, the produce in the fields. Um, secondhand car prices up 15.2%. Uh, that, of course, is the <clears throat> semiconductor shortage issue. There aren't enough new cars. Yeah, And mm. petrol. <clears throat> petrol, uh, petrol and diesel prices, I think, were up thirty percent year on year. Gosh, oh. and there is—I so, mean, this, this, so this base effect, and you know, you know, we've talked about this uh, very often. And, and last year, remember, inflation was 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 low, kind of close to zero last year. So you, you perhaps have yeah. this kind of two years worth of inflation happening at once. The problem, though, is that um, the supply problems and the the labour issue, which is forcing wage prices up. That, quite difficult to come out. The supply problems don't seem to be as transitory as the Bank of England had hoped they would be. Mm. And wages are very difficult to get down. Once you've kind of gone down that route of increasing wages, 
you know, it doesn't, you can't unwind that simply, you know. <laughs> Been there, Joe tried it. Don't yes. you know? It's it's like taking it's like reducing the discretionary Christmas bonus. You know, you need to be very very careful about um, which staff you're ha- you're you're happy enough to lose mm. if you do something like that. So Absolutely. no, you can't. Um, I mean, what's happening here is that you know, and it's interesting. The messaging from the ONS and the Bank of England is very much one of "Don't worry, it's only temporary." Interesting comment from a spokesman from the Treasury, and it's it's all in the words. <clears throat> it's not. The overall message, it's how it's expressed. The Treasury spokesman said, the Bank of England thinks this is only temporary. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Talk about arm's length. <laughs> yes, throwing, this, this leaves the Treasury, with, Treasury with, a, with, 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 a, with some considerable wiggle room if it mm. all goes horribly pear-shaped, because they'll say, well, that's what not I'm going yeah. mm. but, but what's going on here is this is, you know, yes, it's, you know, it, it, it probably will come down, although heaven knows there's enough bumps in the road coming up, which I'll talk about in a moment. But it's baked in. You know, if the prices mm. at the end of the year, as I think most people think now, will be 4% higher, that's 4%. Those prices are, generally speaking, not ever coming down mm. again. There will be a few where competition and the operation of a market will force the prices down. But in general, this is baked into consumer um, cost of living figures mm. bumps in the road ahead um well in hospitality at the end of this month the emergency five percent vat rate goes so you can be sure your restaurant bill is going up and your hotel bill is going up 15 percent yeah um from yeah. the first of october as, as you say joe ongoing supply chain issues that isn't ending anytime soon and and if you look at things like the semiconductor problem they're saying it may not be right till 2024 on, on, wow. on there. And the shipping as well. I mean, we've still got ongoing issues with um everything with in the wrong everything in the wrong place, you know, yeah. and that takes a long time to sort itself out. And of course, the other thing, uh, as I discovered um, personally yesterday, um, energy price rises are going to be stonking right. um, from October. Um uh, my gas supplier, my, my energy supplier, gas and electricity, suggested I fixed my uh tariff for a year on the basis that if I didn't, I could look forward to a 30% rise wow. in my costs. Wow. All right, scare tactics and good marketing. And I did as I was told, like a good boy, because I didn't have time to shop around and price price compare. But, but even um, so, I'm guessing you're paying more than you were paying on a previous. Yes. So you will be. Mm. Ab- absolutely right. And, 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 and one last comment about inflation. There's been some research in the States um, done by the University of Michigan which appears to suggest that consumers, when they expect inflation to rise, cut back on spending, saving for a rainy day. Gosh. They're probably cutting back on discretionary spending in the sense that instead of buying an, in, you know, an, in, an entire trolley full of packs of toilet rolls, they might only buy two. Mm. Um, but none the, none, nonetheless, that is entirely counterintuitive, but that's what the research um, says so we'll see how that plays out but i have to say when i look at the um you know what's going on with inflation and with um with gdp i like the quote from um somebody at capital economics who said there's slightly more than a whiff of stagflation in the air and that of course is the thing you just you know no economy does um, and this is where ever. you have inflate rising inflation but with no 
economic growth. No economic growth. Mm. Which no, is what a, I mean. I think that is in a in a nutshell, basically what we've just been talking about. Yes, isn't it? Yeah, and and mm. you know, um, uh, God willing, this is only um, this is only a month, or it only three months or six months, yeah. but it's not a not a pretty side. So let's let's move on then to um, another issue, which is tricky to to quite unpick. This is uh, employment unemployment um, figures, and and again, this is another one of the schemes that will be finishing at the end of. Um, of this month, the furlough scheme, it's been winding down over the, the past couple of months. But still, we think two weeks, two weeks time, Joe. Two weeks ago, yeah. Two weeks. It's, it's not long. It's not long at all. I mean, there's, there's, a, we have the end of July figures for for furlough. I think it was one point six million people, and the estimate is that there will be about one million um, still on it by the time the scheme closes. Um, you you picked up some interesting um, yes I, research, didn't you, Nick? On Absolutely fascinating, an outfit called Pantheon Macroeconomics. So there's your name check for you. Um, They took the 1.6 million. I presume, I don't know quite what the basis of this is. I I just picked up this graphic on Twitter and it sort of of transfixed me briefly, um, being the nerd that I am. And what they reckon is of the 1.6 million, 70% or 1.1 million will go back to their employer. Right. Okay. So 30% will not, that's half a million. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be made redundant or will leave voluntarily. Of the 1.1 million, 80% will return on full hours, that's 900,000, and 20% will return on fewer hours than they would prefer. Right. Of the half a million that will not go back to their employers, 192k, 40, 40%, will find a new job, but only 70% of them will get the hours they want. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 35%, 168k, will become unemployed. So that's the number that they're predicting will, will add to the unemployment, to the unemployment number. So it's really mm-hmm. quite low. It's, it's 10%. Yeah. And it, then they also say 120,000 will just leave the workforce. And of course, it's not a thing we, we need right now. It's well, no, more quite. workforce than we had yeah. before. Yeah. Having already the pressures of, of yeah. um, kind of COVID Brexit um making making people perhaps return yeah. to so um, so to we'll countries. see what happens with this whole this whole thing i mean the well, sure from that point e- of view it feels like it feels like a, a a brighter picture than i think we had feared in terms yes. of the numbers of unemployed but then of course it, on the flip side we've got a huge number of vacancies i think we've topped a million vacancies and you know you think but but it's a skill it's kind of skills gap isn't it between where the the skills are required and the skills that the people who have, have lost their jobs have um have got which which again and, is contributes to wage increase you know and it's and it's the whole business of um you know are are the people coming off furlough in the right place because mm-hmm. i think we're past the um norman tebbit point of just you know get on your bike and find a job because if you're in um if you're in bournemouth and the uh, job you're looking for is in county durham it's a hell of a long ride yeah um <clears throat> But it, it, it's interesting where these vacancies are popping up. Um, the ONS helpfully have published a bar chart of which sector vacancies are now in. So this is for the quarter to August 2021. Mm-hmm. And they've compared the rise since May, so that's, right. that's three months ago, and the rise since pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And the rise since May for transport and storage, good old HGV drivers, 
is 80%. Gosh. Whereas oh it, was more, it was more like 30, 35%. Mm. <coughs> That's what I'm I mean, I mean, barely a day goes past, is it, now, where in most most of the mainstream media, there's there's somebody bemoaning the lack of HGV yeah. drivers and, and the consequence um, in supply supply problems. Yeah, but, but it's you know, still we're not we're not any closer, are we? Because we've just got a huge backlog of tests. So it's not a question of saying retrain and then in a week's time you'll be able to be, be on the road. This is a long lead time for and and, and it costs money. It costs the driver three thousand pounds. Yeah. To and I, I I had to smile at the um Department of Transport um talking about simplifying the um the training and testing and they might they might not train or test them in reversing the vehicles. <laughs> And, and I'm sure we all know supermarket car parks where the delivery vehicles um, mix with the, with the cars. And that could be a really, really interesting um, uh, issue. And the, the other sectors that caught my eye, you would have thought that um, accommodation and hospitality yeah. would have a similar sort of problem. But um, yes, of course, but compared to three months ago, there are almost the same 80% of vacancies, but there were 60-odd percent um, compared to pre-pandemic. So it's not got oh, okay. much worse in the last three months. Okay. Um, wholesale and retail, it's got dramatically worse. They're up to about 50% um, increase in the last three months, almost nothing compared to uh, pre-pandemic. So it's really intensifying. Oh. The other one... Um, sure how relevant it is to our listeners but nonetheless let's let's do it is another sector that's seen a big rise in the percentage of uh, rise in vacancies is education oh interesting teachers teachers Teachers. if you know enough teachers you'll know that uh, most of them would much rather do almost anything else something else yeah it's um, hard than Um, than that after the last uh, two years so I, i found that quite uh Interesting. I mean, in raw numbers, we've got 4.6 million unemployed in three months to August, uh, which is it's on a downward trend. The number of payrolled employees is back to pre-pandemic levels. Finally, oh, great. Mm-hmm. finally, finally, because huge increase in activity in some yeah. some sectors. Yeah. So not altogether surprising. Up 241,000 in the last month. So yeah, that is good news. But again, remember IR35. How many of those are people who are? Switching we don't have. We don't have the. Um, that's that's an opaque number, isn't it? We we don't really have a sense of, of how many that would be. I guess possibly through um, self assessment returns at some point, but not nothing that we'd be able to really yeah. point to at the moment. Finally, should we um, should we turn to the winding up um, issue? So, as we um, as we all know that this comes to the the, the the moratorium, if you like, on being able to serve winding up petitions comes to an end at the end of this month but <laughs> it's not quite as straightforward as that um there have been some tweaks around what the new rules are again these are these are temporary rules i understand yep. um but whereas before the the debt um that had to be owed in order to be able to serve a winding up petition was 750 pounds that threshold has now been raised to ten thousand pounds. Is that right, Nick? And, it, and it's not as simple as that. <clears throat> no, because, um, what, what I don't know is whether that includes um, interest on the mm-hmm. on the debt, but that's perhaps a minor point. Uh, and by the way, this this um, applies from the first of October this year until the thirty first of March, twenty twenty two. But what they're trying to do is to protect the 
smaller companies over smaller debts. I mean, and, and yeah. I get that. I really do get that. But if you look at the other two um, conditions for issuing a winding up petition, so first of all, you know, there's three, 10, 10 grand debt. Mm-hmm. The creditor has to have issued a written notice of the debt to the debtor and asked for payment proposals. And... The so it debtor, isn't even a payment in full. So it isn't even a payment full, but it's a proposal no. to say oh, pay over six months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever. The debtor. The third condition is that the debtor has not made a payment proposal. Here come the key four words: satisfactory to the creditor within twenty-one days of delivery of the written notice. Now, what every um, commercial lawyer in, in the land has fastened on is who's going to decide when a payment proposal is satisfactory. There is mm. nothing um, in the um, uh, the press release about this, so we'll see what happens when it, when it gets through Parliament, that indicates that. I mean, it does appear to indicate that it is entirely down to the creditor. Um, no requirement to negotiate. Right, okay, that's interesting. And... Um, However, if the creditor considers the proposals unsatisfactory, it has to explain why in the petition. So right, it has okay. to make a statement to the court about why they are not proposal. Uh, the proposals no, are not satisfactory. satisfactory. Um, and I suppose that there must be some hope that the court will intervene, but there's going to be an awful lot of these. I mean, I don't think the court's going to have a great deal of time is it, and well, capacity well, to deal with this. the backlog in the commercial yeah. courts, you know, the, you know are they going to, you know, how quick will the will the hearing date be? Mm. Or will they be rushed through on a bulk uh, basis? Anyway, we, that remains to be um, seen whether the court, Fantastic. and even if the court doesn't take the explanation at face value, how could it actually seriously exercise any effective mm. level of scrutiny? Is it going to, is it going to instruct um, forensic accountants? What's it going to do? What's it going to do? Mm. And believe me, all the forensic accountants and insolvency practitioners who do business reviews for banks are going to be far too busy doing other yeah. stuff to do this nonsense. Now, um, there's a big sting in the tail as well yes. to this, isn't there? Because we've been saying, well, you know, it's all very well that the the um, enforcement of um, of contracts for um, for landlords has been has been postponed until the end of March. But we've been saying, well, of course they can, landlords can issue winding up petitions. No, they can't. <laughs> no, they can't. The, no, commercial landlords are um, actually worse off than mm. before because not only can they not take advantage of this, but what it means is they will find that um, their tenants will be forced to pay other creditors who will be able to use petitions in priority to landlords and there may be nothing left. Mm. So if, you know, commercial landlords, I should think, um, will be um, will be biting the pillow about this. I mean, it's just horrendous, um, the position yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it, it does seem to, to, to be not a um, hugely level playing board. The um, British Retail Consortium, obviously, have, um, have welcomed this, uh, this prevention of landlords being able to take action under the winding up um, measures. However... Um, Helen Dickinson pointed out that, of course, the they're not prevented landlords from taking out a CCJ um, against um, against a tenant. Now that doesn't have any facility to wind up a company, but at least it would be something on the public record, um, which actually again is important. You know, if you're managing risk, you want to know if um, 
if your counterparty isn't paying paying rent and there is no way of, of knowing that at the moment so yeah. you know at least this, this perhaps gives some indication that there might be some um some problems on that on that front well nick i think does that cover all our our points on for, for now at least still awake i think the answer is let's stop while we're ahead <laughs> yes i think it has been it has been quite a, quite um a heavy heavy episode this week but it's been it's been really interesting to get back to to some of these fundamentals and, and see what what might be coming up as we approach the end of the year so nick as always thank you so much for for joining me it's been a pleasure it's a pleasure to, always to talk and um, thanks to our listeners for, for listening and till next time goodbye Thank you.